This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Fated Brides and Fatal Spies, the Romanticy Phenomenon. There's something about the word romanticy that is immediately hard to say. Like, you look at it and you think that's going to be difficult to say. And <laughs> Yeah, and I put romanticy next to the word phenomenon. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's my, kind of amazing I made it through that title, really. My dyslexic brain went haywire. It was like, I've never seen either of these words before. And I'm like, well, one of them does exist. And it's like, no, no, no. Doesn't, neither of them are real words. This isn't English. This She's isn't doing English. it again. She's pulled something from High Welsh and tried to pass yeah. it off as real. That's what I was going to say. It's like a, nah, 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 Jules has gone into Welsh mode. <laughs> Don't trust her. She's trying to trip you up. Um, so yeah, so Jules has been reading again. I know, I'm sorry. I'd say I'd stop, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Uh, and I wouldn't even want you, because to be honest, if you stopped reading... We wouldn't really be able to continue dissecting dragons, would we? It would kind of be an issue, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, it, we do get good. We get good mileage out of me reading, um, mm-hmm. because it always starts me off thinking about why I enjoyed or did not enjoy a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, I've picked up a few fantasy books, only to discover that they fall into the category of fantasy romance or romancy. I think romance is a fairly new term, but it's sort of mm-hmm. catching fire. Yeah. Um, now, I have to say that if I had really fully understood that something was a romanticy before, I might have had second thoughts about picking the book up. But yeah. I'm glad that I didn't, because on more occasions than not, I've ended up really enjoying the book, despite the fact that it is a romanticy, not a straightforward fantasy book. Yeah. Now, it should be worth noting um, that, as Jill said, that uh, romanticy is a growing subgenre. It does have its own tropes and trends. Obviously, because it's growing, these kinds of things are developing. Um um, though, of course, there will be older traditions that they are pulling from, uh, because let's not forget that our good friend the Gothic, um, and <laughs> yep. how many genres have kind of emerged from the Gothic <laughs> that you might think are totally kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, which are. Um, but it shouldn't be confused with paranormal romance, which is a different flavour of book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, basically, paranormal romance is low fantasy or urban fantasy, where romance is the focus and romanticy is high fantasy or epic fantasy, or even probably even darker fantasy, mm. um, where the romance is the, the focus. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, you can have paranormal... I think I've seen examples of paranormal romances where they've kind of tried to set it in the past, perhaps that involves some kind of time travel, something like that. But yeah. there is a general tone, there's a general mood and feel, which is that this is not actually set in the past, is it? You've just kind of... It's like the Bridgerton thing, where it's like, is it really set in the past, though? Or is it kind of just a romanticy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, you you know, there's lots of, of different things. And of course, whenever you're categorising any kind of genre, there's going to be a crossover moment, uh, but where kind of like the border isn't necessarily a strict line. It, it, it's a it's a kind of, well, how do we categorise? Um, but yes, it is a separate uh, genre. It's also not to be confused with a book, um, you know, in a series where perhaps the romantic subplot temporarily takes centre stage before stepping back to being a subplot in the next book. Um, so, uh, for example, for those who've been reading Harker and Blackthorn, <laughs> uh, 
you know, that you might find that that romance sort of obviously there's been a romantic subplot kind of budding throughout the series and uh, you might find a book where romance actually starts to really take you know center stage as part of the actual plot itself but that's it's not a romanticy um because that's that's a series a subplot which has you know had its moment to shine um it's not actually a romantic series as it were it just has a romance subplot yeah i can honestly say as the person reading and writing the books that um mm. it's not my intention and i think it's very unlikely that it's going to be focused more on the romance than on the mystery and the creatures and everything else it's, yeah. it's just not really that sort of series um and the, the romance coming to the fore perhaps in this next book which is coming out um, is is more to do with the fact that it's suitable for it to do so in line with the things that are happening in the actual plot. Yeah. <laughs> Madeline says that very darkly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying anything, but... Uh... <laughs> I wasn't happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, terror. Okay. Um, a romance also has some crossover with cosy fantasy, but that is, again, its own thing. Mm. Um Often, romance contains a lot more emotional drama, whereas the cosy fantasy is all about them feels, you know? Yeah. So it might have, a, again, it's a romantic subplot. It, the romantic subplot may even be quite a large part of the book, mm-hmm. but really it's more about you feeling comfortable at the end of the book rather than having this this high-sweeping romance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, um, you know, when we think about romance and, and fantasy... Uh, <laughs> it's actually it always makes me laugh because of course when in the past whenever you talked about something being romantic that would actually often you know something being romantic didn't actually necessarily mean that it was about love or anything like that um, you know when people talk about the romance you know the romantic period and stuff like that yeah. um, it was about kind of that you know romantic is in there's this romantic ideas the speculative sort of elements so there's this natural kind of marriage that happens between them anyway and then they weirdly enough kind of got separated um you know into fant- fantasy and, and romance just being romance being sort of more grounded in oh well it's you know it's the everyday i say everyday it's the it's the it's the feelings that we're very familiar with um rather than oh you're having romantic notions of dragons or things like that <laughs> yes and after 150 years of separation romance and fantasy are back together again and they're yeah. doing great things together yeah. <laughs> but but i think they've always been a little bit on and off again to be honest i think we just haven't yeah. recognized their relationship but yeah um <laughs> so but it also that does does mean that actually having kind of cozy fantasy romance and stuff like that and and again you can understand why there's that crossover because having kind of cozy romance and things like that again romantic elements when we think of romance being romance and then fantasy kind of having that crossover we tend to think of romance being oh cozy romance and then and then epic fantasy um and they've kind of switched it around where you have epic romance and uh, cozy, cozy fantasy, fantasy. Um, yeah. but it's because actually i think they're really on the same spectrum which is why you have you can have that crossover so easily and why they kind of all sort of marry together so well yeah it's like the color sliders on photoshop isn't it sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to have the blues dialed up and sometimes it's going to be the reds kind yeah, of thing exactly yeah. So at this point, um, <laughs> you might be saying, okay, but what the hell is romanticity? 
Yeah, um, and honestly, this is something where your mileage is going to vary a lot because there are books where, you know, tens of thousands of people who have written reviews disagree with me completely and I've hated the book because of how much romance there is compared, you know, the romance to fantasy ratio. Yeah. And I'm sure there are some where I'm like, I love this. And everyone's like, there's not enough romance in it. So it really depends. Yeah. Um, And and that's the other thing is that... (laughs) Of course, it's it's how much of that blue you dial up or how much of that red you dial up. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's not always going to be 50-50. But the point is that both, in order to be romanticy, you have got those two things which are an essential part of what's happening. And of course, we tend to think of subplots still being, it can still be an essential part of a story um, in terms of character development and stuff like that. But the difference is that in this case, the romance is one of the main you know is is equally a main driving plot and it tends to be that the fantasy is the background and the setup if that makes sense yeah absolutely um and as we will get into in a a moment uh, romance obviously has some very strict conventions for something that is 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 all about sort of making readers feel Mm -hmm. um the way that it's structured and everything is really intense um but a fantasy novel which borrows or utilises many of the conventions of typical romance are in fact romanticies. Um, as Madeline said, the romance is kind of the point with the fantasy elements adding the supporting structure and framework and setting, etc. Yeah, um, we have done episodes about kind of like the structures of romance um, and they are immediately recognisable. And actually, it's just a really good sort of story structure to know in general, even if you're not necessarily writing a romance. Um, because it, it, it does work so well and then it works so well because it, it really does need to kind of connect with people in order to function so um, with a romanticity as I've said you it will usually be set in a fantasy world um, this is going to be often a high or epic fantasy world though you can have sort of like a, a low fantasy world um, and when we talk about you know it can be a contemporary fantasy world as well so something which does have technologies or stuff like that which you're still not leading into the paranormal kind of side of things um it's still yeah. actually that it's still got that sense of whimsy attached to it um you can also it could also be an alternative history or an inverted world with a uh, few other fantasy elements so for example it could be well actually pretty much you know everything is is the same except instead of you know it's a little bit more steampunk for example or, or everything's runs on yeah on, on magic but they do have telephones and cars and stuff like that but actually it's it's all magic and this is like a a magical uh, sort of 19 you know 1920s howl's moving castle you know for example the uh i'm thinking of the film yeah Yeah. um they've got the whole kind of it's you know it's a magical world but it's it sort of feels a lot more contemporary than one would say a you know (laughs) something set in the medieval period would yeah absolutely or you know um if we're talking inverted inverted world with very Mm -hmm. few fantasy elements basically bridgerton as in the series yeah um the, the netflix series where it's everything's a little bit larger than life and they've made a few choices in terms of sort of background and casting and stuff which basically puts it firmly in the romanticy category yeah absolutely um though i think bridgerton is one of those ones where you start to see crossover into paranormal romance just a tiny bit not exactly but a tiny bit within certain some of the tropes and some of the things used and this is what we mean by there being obviously um you know 
any genre. It's it's like saying Frankenstein is both science fiction and gothic, uh, because yeah. it's it's got it's got all the tropes, um, and obviously it was born out of the gothic but set up science fiction. So yeah, you can you can see that, but definitely Bridgerton. Even if you don't say, well, there's no romance, you don't see any literal magic. But uh, sorry, when I said there's no romance, there is romance in Bridgerton. <laughs> I meant there's no fantasy. I was using romance in the old sense. I'm getting confused now. Um, there's no fantasy, you know, that, that it's all set in kind of, that, that there's no magic, uh, but there kind of is because it's definitely not, you're not looking at that and saying this is realistic. It's not yeah. meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, with romance, you'll typically see epic fantasy elements such as mythical creatures, secret orders, warring kingdoms, etc. You don't actually have to have any of those things, but usually there's there's at least one of those sort of things in there. Yeah. Um, but the main focus of the novel is the romance. It just happens to be set in a fantasy universe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so hopefully um, that kind of people have got a really good idea. So we're, we're talking about things like from Bridgerton to... Um, uh, my brain just went empty. <laughs> we've, got, we've, we've got examples to come, we do, we do, we do have, Yeah, we do have examples yeah. to come. But hopefully people kind of have a, a sense of, of, of where we are now. So um, a few caveats before we get into kind of our examples and, and, and whatnot. Um, as we said, romance is an intensely structured genre with specific reader expectations and countless subgenres. In fact, those subgenres can be so niche, a straight fantasy writer would be absolutely lost trying to market them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the more I speak to romance writers, the more I'm kind of like... I am not worthy, you know, my, my hat off to you if you can abs if you can navigate these seas because I've got no idea. Yeah. You know? It, it really requires a lot of research, it requires a lot of investment within that community um, and a lot of reading, essentially. Yeah, you know? I, don't, I don't think you can phone it in either. I don't think I could write a contemporary romance just because I would, in some respects, be phoning it in and romance readers are voracious and they know, they know when someone is not um, you know, treating with them honestly, I think. Yeah, I agree. It is an odd thing in that we tend to think of it as just, you know, for example, you get a lot of chiclet, which is sort of romance and stuff like that, and it tends to be looked down upon as just kind of being light stuff, but the fact of the matter is is that um, actually, even if, you know, you could say some people might find it very easy to write that, um, but that's because they've certainly got a natural talent and also probably because even if they haven't done it consciously they have been doing a lot of research because they've been reading a lot of it yeah and they I mean, know what they're aiming towards <laughs> I, I think that's the thing isn't it because um you know rom romance and romancy is not a soft option um no. i don't particularly like you know straight up romance to read um, but it's difficult to write. It's a bit like making a Victoria sponge cake, which is like one of the most basic cakes ever. And yet absolutely getting a perfect Victoria sponge is bloody difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so um, romance is, is not a soft option. Um, <laughs> it just isn't. Um, so... Oh, oh yeah um, in, in fact it, it's it's so well established um romance itself it, it, that even in fact if you want to learn how to write a book as madeline mentioned earlier you could yeah. do a lot worse than read a dozen romance novels just to learn basic story structure or yeah. check out our episode on this yeah um, in fact i also think there's a there's a book 
called A Natural History of the Romance Novel by Pamela Regis, which I think should be required reading for all writers because it will literally teach you how to structure a book. It yeah. doesn't matter if you don't want to write romance. It's just, it's that good. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where, like, even if you don't write with a measure, it, it's the same that I think that most people should should have a basic understanding of the monomyth and the hero's journey. Because yes, it it's based on these epics, these fantastical, these romantic, and I say romantic in that big grand word sort of story structures, which involve epic journeys and the Odyssey and all of that jazz. Um, and yet, as a fundamental structure, it can still be used for an internal journey. It could still be used for a romance journey. It could still be used for etc. Um, and it's the same with the romance sort of thing, where even if you're not using all of those things, it is so tightly done. It is such a an established structure that has worked for so long that you really you're not you're certainly not going to harm yourself by <laughs> by learning about it. No, absolutely not. I think it's worth bearing in mind that a romance always has either a happily ever after or a happily for now ending. Mm-hmm. And I do mean always. Yeah. Um, if your story doesn't, it may well be a love story, but it's not technically a romance. Yes. That's one of the, the conventions that you just can't cross. I'm reliably informed by many, many romance fans. Yeah, and that is the big difference between... It's it's why you would say, uh, you know, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet isn't a romance. Well, it's a tragedy. Um, literally by its definition it's a tragedy um, and it's it's a love story but it doesn't have that happy ending um, and you know that is worth remembering as well uh, now you can still have kind of romance that as Jill said there's a happily ever after for now or sometimes there can even be a a bittersweet sort of element to it where not everything is resolved um, but you know at the end of the day um, everything is still kind of that there's enough of a okay we're okay for now kind of thing yeah i think there's one georgette hayer novel where i mean georgette hayer was the queen of basically regency romance and she has many imitators not least of which is julia quinn's bridgerton um mm-hmm. but there was one book she wrote where they she has a marriage of convenience and the man is actually in love with somebody else it's never going to work and by the end of the book uh, he and the woman he married have kind of sort of resolved things between them and she's still desperately in love with him and he's not in love with her. But he, he loves her and respects her and values her, but he's not in love with her. And it sort of ends like that. And it's like, this, despite hitting every other convention, doesn't feel like a romance. Yeah. <laughs> You're left kind of going, but he hasn't done his big, actually, I've fallen in love with you declaration, which you're expecting you're expecting it all the way through because that's the book you're reading and then she just doesn't deliver it (laughs) why (laughs) so it felt like it was kind of like um yeah i got georgette hair on an off week and she was just pissed off that day you know (sighs) so yes um that being said there are some truly appalling romantic novels um in fairness there are truly appalling examples of every genre it's not. Ju- I'm not just picking on romance or romanticy. Um, we're going to take a look at what you should and shouldn't do if writing romanticy is your bag. Yeah. Okay, so um, the first thing is that the romance should arise naturally and organically out of the fantasy or the sci-fi story. Yeah, definitely. 
So weak romance romantic uses the fantasy or sci-fi elements as mere window dressing. If you do that, then you could have literally set the book anywhere or at any time. That's the important thing is that it's not just about sort of, well, this is the, <laughs> I've literally just sprinkled some, <laughs> some fantastical elements in there. Uh, no, that's lazy. And while you will get some readers who will just lap it up, um, probably because they just, they, they don't really care, to be honest. They just, they're there for some light reading or stuff like that. You will, you know, you might actually end up really kind of just upsetting people. Um, your writing is not going to improve and you're probably going to end up alienating the bulk of your core readers. Yeah. And, you know, we're assuming here that you're writing for a specific market that maybe you actually might like to make some money back for all your time writing. Yeah. Um, why not have a bigger audience than a smaller audience if you possibly can? So yeah. set off on the right foot. Yeah. And again, also mileage is going to vary here. That's Absolutely. As, as we will see from my examples. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, a good example, in my opinion, is Danielle mm. Jensen's The Bridge Kingdom. This is a series of books, but the first two books... The Bridge Kingdom and The Traitor Queen focus on one specific couple. Um, very brief premise. In fact, this is a series where I looked at it and went, oh, that looks like political fantasy. And I, I picked it up and read it and it's like halfway through before I thought, hang on a second. This is reading like romance, but I'm still really enjoying it. So I'm going to get to the end. So I kind of <laughs> felt like I was tricked into reading it, but I enjoyed it anyway. But the setup is that the female main character has been raised along with all her sisters basically in the art of combat to be an assassin um she's also got the uh, skills of sort of covert sea um spycraft and 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 also just sort of being beautiful and alluring and a, a great dancer and you know in statecraft as well and her sisters and her were kept sort of basically in this um almost like a, a desert sort of commune mm -hmm. away from everyone else so that they couldn't you know smirch themselves with a man or anything like that um, <laughs> okay. um, and they were basically made to compete almost hunger Games style against each other for the honor of being the person to go and marry the prince from the rival kingdom mm -hmm. and then finding a way to kill him and uh the, the main character is kind of like well no i don't think any of my sisters are going to survive this because this rival kingdom isn't stupid they're going to expect some sort of attack um yeah. And I don't want any of my sisters to die. So she drugs them and then right. she takes she takes the role for herself, which causes all sorts of problems later on. And of course, she goes to this bridge kingdom and they turn out not to be anything like what she's been brainwashed to believe they're like. Yeah. And she and the prince obviously are going to fall in love, etc, etc. It's actually yeah. a really good setup and it's done really well. And, you know, the whole romance stuff comes organically out of the plot. And all the problems and obstacles also do likewise. So I think that one really works. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> your bad <I'll>... example. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I think this is a bad example. This is my opinion. Um, I found A Call to Silver Flames by S.J. Mass like, a really bad example of a romanticy. I don't think it was necessarily intended to be a romanticy, but she's definitely been writing more in that direction where it's romance first and um, the fantasy plot very much secondary and sometimes it's very much afterthought secondary as well which is quite offensive um i i've talked at length on why i didn't really like that book and i know lots of people enjoyed it and i'm really glad that they did i wish i was one of them but i'm not 
I do think it put it, it the, a quarter a quarter silver flames leans a little bit more into some of the tropes that you get in paranormal romance. I think yeah, which I think is also not going to agree with you. Um, I for me it's on the edge here because I feel like people could argue okay, but there is enough in terms of there is enough magic and there's enough fantasy which is relevant to the plot to mean that it still technically counts but as you would argue um they feel very added on and they um they're not actually kind of they haven't really sort of contributed that much really um and i think i can really see the two ways here and i certainly know exactly why you feel the way that you do um particularly i think if we contrast a court of silver flames with a court of thorns and roses and a court of mist and fury yeah i mean i think the problem is i didn't even believe the romance in a court of silver flames so it was like she hadn't really committed to either the romance or the fantasy and the two things just didn't sit well together whereas at least you can say with the earlier books um certainly a court of mist and fury she absolutely committed to the romance and i kind of believed it if you see what i mean yeah so yeah i i can definitely see and this is very much where mileage is going to vary because for most people they said no i got what i wanted out of that and that's fair enough um that is absolutely fair enough but i really do feel like we've got an example here where this it actually is leaning more into the uh paranormal romance but it happens to be set not in a kind of an urban fantasy setting but a lot of the tropes and it feels very much almost like it could be um except for the parts where it would be convenient for it to be <laughs> like with cesareans or you know other stuff like that yes anything where you know a modern invention would be anyway don't yeah. start me off i'll stop okay so number two uh romance versus buildings roaming so the best romances both in my opinion and just sort of generally speaking amongst the romance community, are those which work equally well as Bildungsromain. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure what that is, a Bildungsromain is a novel of development where the characters significantly grow and change in response to pressures from the plot. In yeah. romance terms, this means that your main characters should be changed, ideally becoming better versions of themselves, through this relationship. Although if you were feeling ambitious, you could absolutely write an anti-romance where the poisonous love story makes them the worst versions of themselves. Though this oh, not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Where they... But this would not technically be a romance. You know, so no. that supports that theory, really, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> so a good example, although not technically a fantasy, is Pride and Prejudice, where both Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have serious personal issues at the beginning and their gradual increased and deepening understanding of each other makes them each better people yeah absolutely Um, and it also goes to show how you can end up having two using two story structures because internally there is this because the buildings roman uh, um works very well if you're you know if you're doing that and it's you're using the monomyth you're using the the hero's journey um because that is a plot which is all about change um, and in traditional sense of the of the buildings Roman, um, it is you t- you see them literally from the start where they're a kid, but you don't necessarily have to have that anymore. Um, but it goes to show that you have externally with Pride and Prejudice this uh, the structure of a romance. Internally, you have um, the 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 kind of the structure of of a, a, a you know of a hero's journey where both of them 
are changing um and sort of facing you know their their own sort of demons their their own prejudices their own etc um so it just goes to show actually again how <laughs> you can marry these things together yeah absolutely um the next is the first meeting so yes. this moment is more important in romance than probably any other genre and that goes for romanticy too this is where you establish the tone of their relationship and set the reader expectations so is it going to be a friends to lovers is it going to be an enemies to lovers is it going to be one person is smitten the other doesn't know they exist Whatever you choose, you then have to deliver on it. And this is once again why, you know, romance can be so difficult to read because y your audience, your readers will have particular flavours. They will know what they want. And if you dangle that in front of them, they will, you know, they will jump to it and you do not want to then disappoint them. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just don't want, it's like piranhas. You don't want to be chased by rapid romance readers. <laughs> yeah. Disappointed. Yeah. Now, with romanticy, you have the fun option of fantasy elements playing a part. So maybe they literally bump into each other at the magical university, or one of them flies their dragon recklessly low over the other's sheep field. Um, you know, some people also want to play the idea of, you know, having kind of like a, a soul bond or, or something which ties people together, um, which we've talked about in the past, and we're not going to get into it because, again, that will have different mileage in terms of whether you like it or not but that's the point you can add these fantastical elements but you also have the responsibility of making the fantasy elements as crucial to the plot as the romance so as we've said before no window dressing guys <laughs> yeah my example for this one is a book that i looked at it and thought okay i can see that that's a romance set in a sort of medieval-esque fantasy world but i am intrigued by that title so i'm gonna go <laughs> and read it and ended up really enjoying it yeah um and that is that time i got drunk and saved a demon by kimberly lemming um mm. there is a sequel book which deals with the main character's friend called that time i got drunk and yeeted a love potion at a werewolf <laughs> Despite the fact that it has demons and werewolves and things, this is very definitely set in a medieval-esque setting. It's not urban, it's definitely romanticy. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it, it does borrow a few sort of paranormal romance tropes, but really it is the romanticy element that is important because the romance is front and centre all the way through, and yet you're in this medieval-esque world where there is magic, there are gods and things. Um, in the first book, there's this god that everybody's kind of like, well, we do this every year and we send these people to fight for this god because that's how we're kept safe. And the main character is a humble sort of um, spice merchant. Hmm. And um, she's walking home from the pub, drunk. She's been out with her friends at a tavern, uh, drunk and... Uh, you know, they, they've been taught to be afraid of demons that escape. This is why they send soldiers to help this god, etc. And uh, the demon sort of comes through the woods at her and she get, freaks out and all she's got to hand is a stick of cinnamon, which she whacks him around the face with. <laughs> cinnamon, as it turns out, is the antidote for the, the crazed um, mindset that comes upon demons once they've travelled through this rift. And then after that, he kind of like, well, I'm going to make you help me sort this out. And everything unravels gradually. And they realise the god isn't actually a god. And 
there's yeah. a whole sort of horrible sort of slave trade thing going on with these demons as well. Um, but it's it's light. It's despite that, it's light. It's funny. It has some interesting things to say. It's incredibly smutty. It was not. There were times. Honestly, I was driving home and I was listening to it on audiobook in my car, and then I got stuck in traffic. And I swear to God, I have never heard the c word said so many times whilst driving and not had it directed at me by an angry driver who thought I should have been, you know, doing more than the speed limit. Um, but it's like, no, there it was, coming merrily in, in very dulcet tones out of my stereo, in, in some of the smuttiest, like, ratter sexy. And it wasn't that it didn't fit; it just sort of like. I was like, oh, God, we're not pulling back at all. We're, we're really going for it. Okay. <laughs> this, okay. Is, this is not a fate to black scenario. We're getting all the details. So that is <laughs> But it is a very good... It's actually a fun book, and I really enjoyed the second book as well. So um, Another good example, which leans again into more of a cosy romance, is a book that we've mentioned before, which is Legends and Lattes. Yeah. Where, again, the the reason, um, and I don't want to give too many spoilers, the reason that the two characters, you know, who do form this relationship, and obviously also the, I say the relationship, there's a romantic relationship there. There's also this romantic, you know, friendship, I think. And I say yeah. romantic, not in the, but th there's this wonderful kind of friendship, this companionship that forms between this group of people. And it's because of a magical element. Um which you know is then in a pretty integral part of the plot of, of which then sort of goes on and happens but this is there's no you know there's no epics there's no massive you know things like that you get like one battle really at the beginning <laughs> um, which you don't even see it's just right at the end and then everything is kind of very sort of it's very cozy um another one is there is a series at the moment called i'm the villainess so i'm taming the final boss um, and it is this strange situation whereby a, a girl has been reincarnated and she has been reincarnated into the world of a game she used to play when she was when she was human um, and she was very she was very sick and so she took the solace in these kind of these fantasy games that she would play and uh, she has, she realizes she suddenly gets these memories of it midway through her her new life and she realizes that she is actually the villainous in the story that she previously knew and she knows that that means that at the end of the game she's going to get killed by the the evil the demon lord the demon king and so she says well i don't want to get killed so i am going to go and woo the demon king and get him on my side and stop all these events from happening yeah. and so there's this romance that develops between the two of them <laughs> um intermixed with the fact that she's she's got this kind of vague these vague memories of the kind of the game before but she knows that the life that she's leading that is just as real and that the people around her are just as real it's not a game you know this is actually her life she just happens to have this insider knowledge about how things are supposed to go um and i thought that it worked very well in that sense in that you've got this very clear kind of fantastical element but the romance that develops obviously between her and this demon king is at the core of the plot yeah that sounds very cool yeah <laughs> okay point number four deep goodness um this can be a bit of a controversial one but it fits really how you read it 
Yeah. Essentially, if you write romance or romanticy, it's your job to make the reader believe that both your main characters deserve to be happy. Yeah. So the reader must feel that no matter what the main character is currently doing, there is a deep well of goodness within them somewhere. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I mentioned the Bridge Kingdom just now, but I'll mention it again, uh, just because you've got someone who's basically an assassin, someone who is supposed to be this tyrant king, and actually it turns out that he really cares about his people and wants to do the best for them, which is why he agreed to marry her in the first place. Yeah. And she desperately wants to protect her sisters. So yeah. she's going to go and kill this person and she doesn't expect to survive, but at least her sisters will be safe, if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, again, it's the, it's the thing of we're, we're willing to sort of forgive certain elements within fantasy and, and you know, and, and fiction that uh, differ in real life. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, that would be a hard sell in, say, a billionaire romance, for example, <laughs> or a hockey romance. Um, but yeah, we've ultimately have got to want this for them, because um, if we don't, why would we, you know, continue on with it? Essentially, yeah, why would absolutely. we care? Um, next is that the dialogue has to have weight. Um, okay, so we all know not to shove exposition into dialogue, right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, we can't avoid it entirely, but it, it's about, you know, basically how can we you know, make this uh, feasible. Um, but in romance and romanticy terms, dialogue has a different weight. Um, it has to be strong enough to convey emotional context but not so saccharine that readers are yeeted out of the story um, or not so ridiculous that they, that they do the same. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's a less is more situation. Yeah. Believe so, it or not, even for romance. Yeah. I mean, big romantic confessions full of big feelings do happen in this genre, but they cannot happen on every other page because otherwise you sort of lose the tension. Um and I think potentially that has been one of the issues that Jules has had, or certainly that I started to have with certain books. Again, I don't mean to sort of pull on I don't, Sarah I J. don't want to just pick on them either, but it's like it's not delivering what was promised, I guess. So yeah. and it makes it an easy target. But yeah, and again, it is about is saying it. this is this is mileage because I'm very aware of, well aware of the fact that actually I'm I'm sort of in the minority here because she has a huge following and I can't ignore that. Um, but I personally did feel that actually past a certain point, particularly in book three with the relationship between Reese and um, Feyre, uh, because they'd got together, there's this idea that they're together and therefore there's the romance has kind of ended, as it were. They've just 100% unified. Um, and, <laughs> into an amorphous blob yeah um <laughs> where and it, it just it, it kind of just meant that every interaction was these kind of these big feelings rather than it being okay but what about the the big feelings on on the negative side or the small things or etc etc um so when when you do have these kind of these big things you want to save it for key moments and make it clear that there is a high price tag which is attached to these confessions you know because you know there has to have been reason that these confessions didn't happen straight away off the bat there has to have been a reason that that it's happening now and here you know <laughs> yeah absolutely and i'm afraid i subscribe to the whole thing it's like if someone can just come out of the gate and confess love how genuine can they be because how much is how much is that love worth because it should be a costly thing to say certainly in the beginning 
um, there is a risk in emotionally exposing yourself. And yeah. if you do not have that risk in your dialogue when you're writing romanticy, then again, you're going to lose tension and people aren't going to realise why they're not interested maybe, but they are going to lose interest. Yeah, it's it's about also, you know, it's it's the understanding that you you can't write things, even if you want to write something as realistically as possible, um, you can't write things in the same way, you know, as reality occurs. Um, people do expect certain story beats, people do want that tension, because otherwise it's not a good story and they are there to be entertained. Yeah, definitely. Um, in addition, witty banter is great, but only if you, the writer, are actually witty. I don't mean to be mean with this one, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes people feel that they have to write witty banter and they're actually not comfortable doing it. They're actually yeah. more comfortable writing plain dialogue. And that's fine. They should write plain dialogue. They should write what they're comfortable writing. The same way that you shouldn't write um, in a literary style if that's not you. You shouldn't yeah. have to have poetic dialogue if that's not you. Just don't do it. Of course, if you want to and it's not in your skill set, then by all means, do work on it. Um, but, you know, it, it's the same thing as, remember, if you're publishing something, you want it to be your absolute, the best work that you can produce at that time. Um, and if you feel uncertain about something, then y- you don't want that kind of that level of uncertainty. You want to feel like you've really done the best that you can and of course there are always going to be cases where people will look back and go oh god (laughs) oh no that's my first book and i did publish it and i'm ashamed of it now um that's absolutely fine because obviously you continue to develop as you continue to write Um, but it is something that you can work on and yeah i agree that there has been a lot of kind of emphasis on creating this narrative which is all um, you know, this this back and forth, this uh, snide comments, this teasing and stuff like that. And I'm like, first of all, not all relationships are like that. Um, and second of all, it doesn't need to be all the time. Like, again, if we look at Pride and Prejudice as a fantastic romance staple, um, yes, you do have these back and forths between Lizzie and, and Darcy, but and yes, they are witty, but they're not witty in the same sense of some of the other kind of witty takes that you see in, in, in other romance if you if you get my meaning it's kind of yeah. witty and being it, it's killing with kindness in some respects until it isn't <laughs> yeah and I, I have to say if we're using pride and prejudice as an example and it mm. is a good example um then you have to say that even when they're, they're i mean they're not sniping at each other really no. there's the occasional snipe but even when they do it's very clear that they're on the same wavelength. So every bit of dialogue, you know, serves the story on multiple levels in that respect. Whereas I think sometimes when people force in something that's supposed to be witty banter and it's not very witty and, you know, just to say, yeah, this is, this character is sassy TM. um, It doesn't work because it's not an authentic character and it's not an authentic interaction um yeah and it's not authentic to also to to actually how you've had that character for the rest of the time yeah exactly Um, yeah don't worry you know of course you don't want to have a character who's boring when they you know who's boring when they talk (laughs) no that's not the only kind of you don't have to write that so if you're not ready to write that you don't want to write that or if you're forcing yourself to write that take a step back yeah Okay, number six, their unique need for each other. There should be some deep-seated reason why this one person fits with your main character. Mm -hmm. Why it's this love interest and not anyone else. 
Um, if you want a romanticity to work, the love interest cannot be interchangeable. So it's not a case of, oh, well, this one out of six identical girls kind of thing or six identical guys. Um, there's there's got to be something that sort of sets them a little bit apart. Yeah, um, and and it, and it can't just be um uh you're not like the other people, and then you don't actually <laughs> don't actually explain why. Yeah, um, readers want to feel the love, and they're not going to do that if there's no genuine deep bond. If all they wanted was to shove two people together in a room and call it a marriage, they could just play Sims. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and again, nothing wrong with that. Um. It, but it also means that then if you decide to have a romance which does have a kind of like a, um, a, a you know, a, you know, two two potential partners or things like that, um, you want to make sure, therefore, that the romance between these and the relationships between them is different. They're not just kind of place stops, you know, universal that anything will work because then why would you kind of would anyone vote towards one or the other and i think a good example of this um that triggered a lot of it is if you actually look at twilight for example yeah um it, it, when you had the sort of the edward versus jacob kind of thing the relationship that bella had with jacob was very different to the relationship bella had with edward and the way that bella kind of felt about Jacob was that she felt, you know, Jacob was very sunny and stuff like that. And you got that sense that there was a there was a different kind of fulfillment. Really. Yeah. They didn't these weren't two characters who felt like they could just be interchanged. They weren't at all. They they kind of really sort of fulfilled different things. Um and it, for me that worked well as well because you could kind of understand why she might want to why she might start developing feelings and i don't think she ever really developed romantic feelings for jacob but i think she cared about him so much that she didn't want to lose him um uh, well no she started to go in that direction it's just then edward came back and it's like well you yeah. know there's there's no there's no choice there's no contender there there's no competition yeah it's like um but you know it, it if you then decide to have it well the only way that I can do this is by then completely vilifying or completely changing or, or completely making all other options just seem uh, like just turn them into terrible people or non-entities then it no longer feels like actually the the romance which has been chosen is valid because um it feels like first of all there wasn't actually a choice so it it but also there's there was no kind of reason beyond that for for there to ever be any risk of her falling in love with anyone else or him falling in love with anyone else etc yeah definitely um uh, just an additional point on this one uh mm. you shouldn't confuse unique need for dis dependence so and unique need uh, i think a lot of authors shortcut the, the whole process by adding things like the mating bond or the soulmate principle and you can absolutely have those things if you want them, but they should not be the only reason your characters are together. Mm -hmm. um, there's got to be, you've got to have them get each other on a level that other people just can't really approach somehow. Yeah. Um, so it might be the thing that draws them together initially and somehow they work around it and it, to the point where, you know, almost the, the mating bond or whatever doesn't actually matter anymore. It's just an additional thing. Yeah. Or that's what I think. And yeah. there has to be a moment where they choose, ideally because they know this other person will, you know, make them happy, but make them a better person and they will make the other person a better person. It's not about sort of going in and changing somebody, it's about kind of like, 
you bring out something in me that I like about myself. Yeah, absolutely. If you know what I mean. And for, and I think it's also uh, it's also important because it will actually it starts to reflect what people actually I think need to a certain degree. Um, and it's why also the whole, well, the mating bond is actually the only reason that two people are together is first of all, um, that kind of starts to alienate the readers just a tiny bit. If it's just, well, everything was just because of this. And for some people, they like that. They like the full romance of just saying, oh, I wouldn't have to go through all of the, the difficulties or the hardship or the, you know, it would be so nice to just have someone who you immediately click with who's fated for you. Totally understand that. Um, but if that was all that 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 it is then actually you kind of start to invalidate other sort of things other sort of feelings everything starts to feel a little bit too shallow um and for me it breaks me out completely because um i'm one of these people who who thinks that there is no one person in the world for us you know um we have the opportunity to fall in love multiple times uh and what makes a relationship special is the fact that it is a choice. Um, and when you have a relationship uh, with someone different then, um, it's not therefore that, oh, well, I never actually truly loved that other person before, because maybe you didn't. But I hate it when it's like, no, no, this is the only one true relationship that you can have because there's this bond sort of thing. Um, because it actually just means that there's no substance behind it. Um, and there's no individual individuality behind it um, and it totally invalidates everything that happened before and therefore kind of the character or the person that they were before I, I just don't like it to be honest if, no. if that's all there is I completely agree um, okay so a good example obviously you've mentioned Twilight which mm -hmm. I don't know Twilight's weird it should technically be paranormal romance but it actually kind of reads more like romanticy <laughs> It does, yeah. It, it. This is what again. One more. We're we're kind of on those cross borders. <laughs> yeah, but a good example we've both read fairly recently is Half a Soul by Olivia Atwater. Yes, which is again Regency fantasy romance. So Regency mm -hmm. romantasy, um, and it it's just great when we're talking about unique needs. You've got the very very grumpy high magician. Yeah who is just rude to everyone. He's come from a different class and he doesn't really fit in. And he just wants to put people off. And the yeah. main character, who is kind of the poor relation, and there's something wrong with her, and she's having to keep quiet the fact that, you know, she's lost half her soul to a fairy. Yeah. And she's, obviously, this traumatic thing has happened to her, and it's left her different, and she's learned to work around it. And yet, yeah. together, the two of them, I mean, she's not put off by him. She's not offended by him. Um, and it kind of th throws him the fact that whenever he's horribly rude to her, she just comes out with something very logical. <laughs> Yeah, and I absolutely. just love their interactions. It's it is because literally the only reason that they <laughs> again this also works because uh, he's not the only nice person within no. the story. Um, she builds this the main character um, Dora builds this great friendship with um, Elias as the 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 high source the the sorcerer's um, best friend who basically kind of like sets them up together and the only reason he sets them up together is that usually women are terrified of Elias um, 
high society women are terrified of Elias and he kind of seems to like it and push it into it but because she only has half a soul she isn't shocked she isn't scared by him she can literally just answer back to him she has this great moment where she just completely destroys him and I knew it was coming and I laughed so hard it's fantastic um, <laughs> it is it was just very very funny and that was literally the whole reason why th their their friend uh, basically was like aha okay I'm gonna try and get set this up because I think that she's actually good for him um, and and that basically progresses the entire plot and is literally why everything that happens happens so the romance and the fantasy are 100% tied together and they then have these two people who fit together well um, not least because he doesn't see her as less than in any respect um, and he, and the oddities which are looked down upon by the rest of the society that she lives in um, are first of all actually very useful for some of the things that she's then got to run and do with him including deal with some pretty gruesome stuff which you know she might have otherwise really struggled to deal with yeah. um, but also you know he doesn't mind those oddities because he's a bit of an oddity himself and yeah, it's perfectly absolutely. possible that she could have ended up having a romance or, or something like that or you know a, a romance built out of friendship with another person who who didn't mind the oddities um but it's these two were in the right place at the right time and they just fit very very well together and more more than pretty much with anybody else essentially yeah, definitely. Um, bad example. I don't want to go too much into this one, but and I realised that Nalini Singh actually has like hundreds of thousands of fans. So again, I'm in the minority here. Um, but this is Angel's Blood, which is the first book of the Guild Hunter series. Mm. I, the whole thing with the Guild Hunter series is that cities are kind of run almost like city states, and yeah. this, this one is based in New York. And humans are kind of at the bottom of the pile. At the top are the angels. The angels can make vampires. Don't ask me how this works. Um, and everything everything is just made to run. And uh, New York is being run by this, this one archangel. And the main character is not quite entirely human. She's not. There's something a bit off about her. Um, she's, she's an investigator. She ends up being hired by this archangel because for some reason he needs a human investigator and As you do <laughs> i don't feel that there's ever a moment in that book where they fall in love they do a lot of fucking a lot of very graphic sex um, which is fine but there's i don't know it feels like the, and I, I honestly can't say that the fantasy world doesn't work with the actual sort of supposed romance angle it's just that you can't sell me on the romance in that one it's not it's just it doesn't it, there's there's no real love and yet at the end of it he's kind of like confessing his feelings and I've, i i was reading it thinking where has this come from yeah. i genuinely don't know where this has come from you've looked at her like she's a possession all the way through the book and the fact that she then turned around and sort of falls into his arms is kind of like that makes no sense whatsoever you've been mm. alternately sleeping with him and shouting at him and running away from him through the entire book um, I did try the next book and it didn't get any better and the book after that I gave up halfway through I mean this was supposed to be part of like a readathon sort of 
um, mm. group activity type thing. And I just had to say, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not the target audience for this. It is yeah. not working for me. And again, you've got to understand also that, as Jill said, this is going to be a mileage thing. And for some people, that's actually okay because the characters are sort of like stand-ins for ideas that readers want. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, it's just about personal preference. Um, and I guess in this particular case, from what you've described as well, um, I'm not going to... That that doesn't sound like something which would sort of make me feel like I, I, <laughs> I'm i going to engage with that. Um, and I think it, it has been a consistent problem with some uh, kind of stories. You see it in YA a lot as well, where you're like, actually, I don't understand why these two people are in love with each other because whenever they're together, they only seem to fight. And there seems to be this whole physical attraction, but where's everything else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not that I don't think that hate fucking's kind of a thing, because it absolutely is, and you can probably have a really compelling character relationship following that, but that's not a romance. So yeah. don't try and sell it to me with one. Yeah. Um, so the next is uh, a series of mistakes. So your main characters should not be flawless. <laughs> flawless. Flawless. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't confuse deep goodness for that. Um, it's important that the reader sees them making mistakes, ideally understandable mistakes. Um, yes, first of all, this establishes them as human, um, even in a romanticy, then even if in a romanticy they're not actually human. Um, but it also gives a moment of Aristotelian catharsis. Um, tragedy is experienced by the reader as it is lived by the main character. We have got to believe that these are sort of, first of all, real people. And if they are too flawless, then you lose that connection. Um, and through that, you lose that, you, the catharsis, you lose the, the emotional tension, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... Madeline was forced to experience this recently when she um, beta read book 10 of Harker and Blackthorn for me. <laughs> yes, um, I, was, I was really forced to experience. Um, it, was it was actually really difficult in some respects. Uh, not in a, I couldn't, you know, don't read it way, but in a, that hit very, very hard. Um, and is likely to frustrate people, but also I think it hit hard for me because I could completely understand both perspectives and both sides, um, where this wasn't necessarily about a character being a bad person. And I think when we think of flaws, we think of it innately being a bad thing, or therefore they have to do a bad thing. And that's, you cannot think in black and white terms like that. Uh, when it comes to these things. Remember, when we talk about virtues and flaws, they are usually on the same kind of level. So someone who is incredibly loyal, someone who's, you know, incredibly, uh, might actually perhaps be a little bit too intense. They might be jealous, etc. You know, someone who's very thoughtful and empathetic might also then have, you know, such deep-seated, um, you know, self-loathing or things like that, that, they immediately jump to the worst and in doing so assume the worst of other people. Yeah. Um, so y you need to have those things within it. Um, it will, it adds the spice. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we talk about, you know, characters kind of developing and growing, which they do do in romance because obviously they're, they're 
at the end the beginning of the romance you have two people who are not together um they have and they don't immediately get together uh, the whole point of the romance is that something needs to shift in order for them to then have their happy ever after so of course the development happens and that has to be tied with some kind of flaw and remember clumsiness is not a flaw guys um, no <laughs> i was just thinking that um, and it's like the reasons behind this series of mistakes or you know single mistakes should play into your fantasy world and your romance yeah. plot in romance as well yeah um and you know they should be understandable even if the reader is begging the main character not to do it so like yeah. i'm really sorry but yeah yeah it, it, it literally should be a situation where even if you said well why are you doing you know uh, it can be a case where you're saying why are you doing this but not saying why are you doing this um, yeah. <laughs> um even if you don't share the kind of the feelings you should be able to understand why a character has m is making the decisions that they're making or why they might be struggling with certain things and i think sometimes people create this sense of weird drama and stuff like that for in order to have that and it doesn't actually make sense so you'll see a character going i'm gonna make have to make this hard decision and you're like that that actually literally makes n no sense um you've just added that for the drama and it's at that point it's just annoying um whereas if you go god this is actually a really annoying situation because you were so close and then you've gone and done that or no this is a misunderstanding or no you just need to talk about it um but you can completely understand how you got from a to b then it's fine <laughs> yeah i mean i think something that okay this is this is a sort of a discovery writing thing for when i was writing book 10 um and i'm not going to do spoilers i'm going to try not to anyway yeah but um basically i think some authors think if there's going to be a mistake then all you can have leading up to that mistake is a mistake whereas what you can have is a series of small mistakes leading to a much bigger mistake yeah and also at the same time interspersed with those mistakes are times when the couple are actually just really into each other they really get each other they're having fun yeah and you have both it's never just one thing i think yeah um or at least that's certainly what i've tried to convey and it's just i mean i don't really want to name names or anything but uh, speaking from this particular couple as in they spend a lot of the first half of the book sort of swinging between okay there's a little bit of tension there because of something someone's done but then the mm -hmm. next moment they're like really happy to be together yeah and the one thing doesn't cancel out the other it's not reached that stage yeah yeah um and it, it also works in terms of saying that if you don't do this you actually also end up a situation whereby there is no individuality with the characters because even two people who are of a very similar mind are different people who will have different experiences and who will have different hang-ups and different flaws and things like that even if they're very very alike and the whole point of any kind of relationship um, is that there are going to be moments when things clash and collide or when differences of experience will inform differences of ideas you know you might think oh well, we're exactly on the same page and then suddenly further down the line suddenly go oh god no you think completely different about this um, yeah and it never even occurred to me to think differently about this because we have such a different background etc yeah definitely um and you know you're gonna have probably one character who gets hurt because of a mistake that the other character does yeah um 
which it doesn't have to be world chattering. It doesn't have to be someone cheats on someone else. It doesn't have to be like a 70s romance where the man hits the woman and then gets forgiven for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I'm not dicey waters there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that should never ever happen because depending on how you set up your fantasy world, there might be a reason for something like that happening. And I'd be a huge hypocrite having written I Belong to the Earth um, to say, you know, it's never ever going to happen. But it shouldn't be kind of like a domestic violence situation, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, you, you, again, it's, it's about sort of understanding what you're writing and also what you're conveying with it. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, item number eight, external obstacles. So if the happy couple get together in the first few chapters, then you have either a very short book or no real romance plot. Mm. Um, Romance is satisfying when the main characters have to overcome external interference. That said, those obstacles should also rise organically from the plot. If you keep just adding random obstacles, the reader will get annoyed because, you know, that's not what they've been told that they're getting. Yeah. So it, you can't say, I'm promising you a steak dinner and then serve up a salad. Someone's going to get upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's your job as a writer to get the two characters together. It's the plot's job to keep them apart. And then eventually you hit a tipping point and, you know, you, the writer, will have final say, hopefully. Yeah. Now, bear in mind that when we talk about sort of characters being together, that, you know, there are different varieties of that. For example, you could have the sort of the fake kind of relationship or two people actually do really like each other and they have gotten together. But then there are lots of obstacles which trying to be, are trying to pull them apart. And the ultimate goal isn't actually necessarily about them saying, you know, being together, but actually about them getting to have a relationship or something like that. It will depend on the book. Um, for the most part, though, it is very much going to be a uh, two people really have to kind of go through this whole process <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in order to be um, together, even if they actually are aware of feelings they might have with each other from from a kind of an early standpoint. Um, so, yeah. And obviously it will also depend if you're writing a series or if this is a standalone, etc. Um, story, you know, structure, plot structure and things like that cannot just be ignored. Um, and as we've said, romance is a very strict structure, uh, which is strict because it works. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, uh, the last one is sacrifice. So don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um... So, all right, it's romanticy, so maybe panic a little bit um, because someone could potentially get fed to a dragon. But <laughs> uh, this one basically seals the deal. Uh, this is where your main character or both of your characters show that the love they feel for the other person transcends their own wants and needs. Um, so they will do anything to ensure that the person is happy and safe. Um, now, when we say do anything, um, it... it Again, you're you're kind of in in waters there, where basically it, it this is within a sort of a healthy kind of perspective, as it were. Yeah, within Even healthy if, parameters. They're not within, going to go their family. Yeah. Uh, because it's not romantic. If it's anyway, I'm, we're not getting into that. But regardless, the point is that they are they're they're dedicated to this other person. Um, often, this means that they will sacrifice the very love they feel if it means the person will be all right or it can mean a a point of ritual death whereby the sacrifice uh, they sacrifice a long cherished but false belief which is getting in the way of their love um or they actually put to bed some kind of trauma within themselves um 
either way or or they kind of perhaps they have to um to give up on something which they previously thought they wanted but have actually kind of come to realize doesn't mean as much to them as as they initially thought yeah um a good example is daughter of the forest by juliet merlier which is kind of historical romancy thinking about mm. it um and fairy tale romancy as well mm. um and by the end of the book or very near the end of the book you've got red and soraka who have you know had to have this marriage of convenience thing at one point because otherwise she wouldn't have been protected mm -hmm. and they have fallen in love with each other neither of them has admitted it and they don't fit together in his world there is no world there where they're both going to fit together plus mm. she's drawn to go back to the forest and her home in seven waters where she'd come from yeah um, but they're both so desperate to make the other happy that they give each other up which really upsets the the Shay. The Shay who've been desperately trying to get these two together because they want <laughs> they want a child from these this particular couple to fulfil a prophecy. It's yeah. like, yeah, but they didn't kind of calculate on them both being completely unselfish in their love for each other and giving each other up. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, that that's kind of I mean, aside from sort of like I will die for you or whatever, that is kind of like an ultimate sacrifice yeah it is it's the i will actually make a decision i'm making a decision f for you yeah um and uh, <laughs> yeah and again remember this is the moment of sacrifice so it's not a every single every single decision is well i'm giving up everything of who i am um for another person uh it, you know, in everyday sort of life, it is a, I'm making a decision um, in this moment because I value what you need. I, you know, I'm going to save you um, yeah. over over myself or, or whatever. Um, and the whole point, obviously, with the romance is that usually this would be a reciprocated thing. You know, this yeah. would be two people who are, who have each other's best interest at heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah <laughs> and yeah there are lots of really lovely examples of this and it and it is epic it is one of those moments of oh god that 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 sort of that hits really really hard that <laughs> that's the the arrow in the heart um there are again i'm not going to give sort of spoilers um but we do kind of see that we'll see that in harker and blackthorn where it's going to be a i'm putting my feelings aside because regardless of what is happening um and we get this to be honest with all of the characters regardless of what is happening your your welfare matters more and what's interesting is that with eddie and megan um there's an element where it almost where eddie seems to think that he's like well i'm doing this for megan's own good but it's not that's a selfish thing it's not actually to do with megan yeah so and ultimately the eddie that we have seen now he is the one who's now making that decision where he is sacrificing his own you know he, he's sacrificing his own comfort in this because he's very disquieted by it he's very worried he's very scared the whole time but it's what megan wants and he has come to respect that um you know even if it means that she she puts herself at risk um, and not only that, he's basically said, okay, well, I'm going to step in with you. And she has then also compromised and said, I am also going to be thinking about how 
this affects you so we will have some ground rules and things like that and so you can have sacrifices which are small things like that i say small they're still big but you yeah. know it doesn't have to be i will throw myself in front of the dragon kind of thing <laughs> yeah absolutely it doesn't have to be kind of like um the long black veil or whatever where you know yeah. the man gets hanged so that his best friend never finds out that he loves his best friend's wife and they were lying together that night and she would have been the perfect alibi but he won't besmirch her reputation it doesn't have to be like that yeah you know? <laughs> it doesn't need to be that at all um okay all right um we we're, we're running on a little bit but uh we'll we'll just get through these little bits so um obviously uh there are some other things which is the the sort of the romance tropes which have a, a little bit of a twist yeah, this is basically, um, this is by no means an exhaustive list. This is just a few examples. And it's a case of, okay, these are very typical staples within sort of romance. You won't find them all in one book, but you'll find them spread out across the genre. And yeah. when you're writing romanticy, then you might want to deliver these with a bit of a twist. So this is kind of like, I'm not even going to give examples. I'm just going to say you could do something like this and yeah. to get the old, the creativity engine running kind of thing. Yeah. So obviously you've got the age gap romance. Um to be clear, when I say age gap romance, I actually quite like a May-December type romance thing. As long as both parties are adults, both of them are fully capable of giving consent, etc. Um, when it's a teenage girl and a 40-year-old man, that's not a romance, okay guys? Yeah. With the exception of Jane Eyre, because she was, you know, very advanced and um, what have you. She was, she was a woman by the time. So within the conventions of the narrative, etc., I guess I'm thinking yep. of, say, the Mayfair Witches, where Mona's 13 and Michael's 50. That's not that's not cool, okay? Mm. Um, but, yes, a lot of people really, really like an age gap romance. They like a May-December romance. With fantasy, you can have, a, I suppose, like, uprooted, where, you know, the wizard is actually hundreds of years old, but he doesn't feel yeah. like he's hundreds of years old, and he ends up with Anishka, who is about 19, 20 yeah but there's a lot of push and pull to get to, to that stage and she is the one ultimately who takes the reins and says no i want this to happen thank you very much yeah absolutely um yeah and and it, and it it does you know at that at the point that it does happen it is a relationship of equals it's not you know yeah there's there's no weird power dynamic there um, I mean, it's, this is a huge staple of a lot of uh, romanticy and, and paranormal romance and stuff like that, because so often you will have the, um, the you know, the, the hundreds year old fey lord or, or you know, um, demon or vampire or stuff like that with a, um, in YA it's usually a teenage girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um... <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, yeah the, there's, you know, there's, there's ways. Um, there's ways around it. Um, but obviously, it's the reason it's, it continues to exist is because it is it is very very well liked. So, you know, you can you can make it work. But um, yeah, keep an eye on it. Uh, the next is the forced proximity or the marriage of convenience. Um, this is <laughs> I, I like this one. I know Jules is absolutely in love with this one. Um, uh, I wouldn't go that far. It really depends how it's done. I hate this, this one. I hate this one when they're forced to sleep together yeah um, but i really like this one when it's kind of like well i'm stuck with you i'm literally stuck with you there was a, a variation on this where 
the two characters who end up being romantic partners are literally chained together in a wagon. And because for some reason she's as dumb as a box of rocks, when she manages to pick the guard's pocket and get the keys, she unlocks their arms and forgets to unlock their legs. So they're escaping across country, literally with their legs chained together. <laughs> yes. And it's like literally stuck, to, literally stuck to you kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you have to the, cooperate. Yeah. Um, or obviously in, in the, the King's Night, you have the... Well, we. I need to get married because of X, Y, Z. You need to get married because of X, Y, Z. So I guess this is just how it's going to be. We'll get married and we'll stay out of each other's way and you'll yeah. stop changing things around my castle because I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> except actually I do like it. And Anyway, um, yeah, uh, I, I do like this one as well. We saw that a little bit in Half a Soul where you have these two characters who are kind of being thrown together initially by... A friend who's like a oh good someone else who can put up with this guy <laughs> he needs he needs some other people in his life so I'm gonna put you two together and then oh well now you know I've kind of been hired for a job and etc um yeah. and we keep bumping into each other um I do like that one as well um and it can be done very very effectively yeah um I also really like this one I haven't seen quite so many of them but I mean this is in the house in Cer- on the cerulean sea. Um, the Ray of Sunshine versus the gr- Grumpy Old Misanthrope. This can work really great as a friendship or a child-parent dynamic, but I really like it also as a <laughs> as a romantic staple. I suppose I've kind of used it myself. You have this little Ray of Sunshine person who comes into somebody's dusty old house or office or whatever and says, I think you need to socialise more, and drags them out, and by doing that gets under their guard, and they kind yeah. of fall for them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Uh it's also this well why do you fit together because actually perhaps you know it's like lego there's a space in one place and and, and you know it all kind Some of sticky clicks together but <laughs> yeah that there are there are usually they can't just be total total polar opposites because then where you know there's there's literally no fixing it's rather that there is you know they do actually match they do actually work um Okay, uh, so the next one is the uh, is of course the steam levels. Yeah, uh, how is, steamy do you want it to be? <laughs> this is really um, your mileage may vary. I don't mind honestly. Um, I if I read romance, um, then I'm okay. Or romance, I'm okay with a sweet romance like Legends and Lattes. That was cute. That was adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was more of a cozy romance, but it sort of played into the sweet romance tropes. Whereas I also didn't mind with the whole the time I got drunk and saved a demon thing where it was quite full on. Absolutely nothing was held back. It was just a little bit surprising that it went in that direction. Yeah. (laughs) But once I got over my surprise, I was kind of like, yeah, this is fine. Um, I guess where it bothers me is when the the story is clearly just a framing device so that the author can write smut. And I'm like, can you just be honest and say you want to write smut? There's nothing wrong with that. But please yeah. don't sell it to me as a romanticy because that's not what this is. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. <laughs> there are, again, they're lines. There are lines. And people's, people's mileage will vary with that one. Definitely. Um, the comedy of errors. That old chestnut. This is kind of fun. I mean, I think it's fun as long as it's not something that hinges on the big misunderstanding if you see what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, you can make it work with the big misunderstanding, but I think that often, unless you do that properly, it will just really frustrate your readers or your audience. 
but a series of I mean if you think Bridget Jones for example I realize that's not romanticy but um sort of like she's so competent and yet she kind of always falls on her face in front of Mr Darcy and weirdly enough he always falls on, on his face in front of her as well yeah and it's like this this continual progression of gradually worsening um like not mistakes but just sort of like oh I've slipped and fallen on my ass, kind of situations. Yeah, and oh. and these these are also you know they're still connected with who she is as a character. It's not that she, um, you know she she does she is a bit of an embarrassing person, as it were. She's totally com- competent, but she is a slightly embarrassing person. So it's not that you suddenly go, why does this only happen? You know, when he's around, y- you can totally understand why these events happen. But of course, the whole joke is that it just it does keep seem to she keeps being put into these certain situations when he's around <laughs> yeah absolutely it's the whole thing in bridget jones um the edge of reason in the film mm. where she's absolutely convinced that he's having an affair with rebecca and yeah. rebecca's there all the time and she's gorgeous and she's young and she has legs like a baby gazelle or whatever yeah. and um then it turns out that actually the reason Becca, rebecca keeps turning up is because she's kind of got a thing for bridget yeah <laughs> That doesn't happen in the book, but it was actually quite a funny touch in the film at the time the film was made. Yeah, and then also, you know, you had the... It, it worked very well in the film as well, where she's at this kind of this dinner party and she's kind of making statements about things from from a, a, her background point of view, where she's, you know, she's got a much more working-class background um, and she's she's rubbing up with people who are a lot more within the elite, and so she starts talking about these opinions and stuff like that and is actually kind of passionate about it and people that are acting like well this isn't the right kind of we don't you know this isn't the place for debate sort of thing um and it's this whole you know she she kind of embarrasses you know uh, darcy as it were Uh, but she's not necessarily in the wrong if that makes sense but it is just about who she's not yeah it's not necessarily the right time to do that yeah yeah Okay, uh, second chance romance. This could be really fun in a yeah. romanticy setting, I think, because you can. You, that, that doesn't necessarily depend on how you set up the world. There doesn't necessarily have to be a limit on things like age and species. Mm. So maybe they were in love like when they were young demons, sort of three thousand years ago, and they just don't speak anymore. And you know, something sets one of them off thinking, um, and then they end up in the same hell pit or whatever. I'm really pulling this this example out of my ass. But, yeah. you know, you can, you can set up the world so that it really supports this idea of the second chance romance. Um, it doesn't just have to be sort of like a city girl goes back to the small town she came from and remembers her high school sweetheart kind of thing. Yeah, uh, or it could be, you know, we broke up back then, but actually now we're both different people or, you know, that <laughs> perhaps <Yeah>. literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps literally, because, you know, we've reincarnated eight or nine times since then and yeah. we've body modded or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> one of us is a vampire now. Uh, <laughs> of course, um, you have the friends to lovers or the enemies to lovers. Yeah, that's a staple. And that, again, that's that could be fun um, in a fantasy setting. You can literally have them being from warring kingdoms that are against each other. That's been done very successfully. Um, yeah. You can have them being sp- species that just are not really supposed to get together. Maybe there's an injunction on something like that. Yeah. Uh, or there's like this natural kind of hereditary. I-, I mean, people love to do the whole werewolf versus vampire thing, which makes me laugh so much since 
most they of the world off being the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were very married. Um and and you know it's like oh well a romance between the those these two species what could happen? You know, um so yeah, absolutely. Or or the other typical one is a, a teen wolf is a great example the TV series where obviously you have a werewolf and he has this whole relationship with um a hunter, you know, so they're they're natural enemies but <laughs> yeah. Um of course, you then have the secret billionaire. I almost didn't write this one down. And again, this is just a very small sampling. Um, the secret billionaire, it wouldn't necessarily interest me. But when you think of things like Disney's Aladdin, where the secret billionaire is actually the princess who's trying to have a trip out to the market by herself, that's suddenly a lot more interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's also potentially interesting if you've um, if it's kind of been done in terms of actually saying well, actually, we're getting a whole other dimension to this character. Like, you've seen that a little bit with Steve and Harker and Blackthorn. Yeah. Where, you know, over the last few books, you've started to realise, actually, he's from... He, I mean, you know that he's kind of from a, a kind of a relatively privileged background from sort of early on, because obviously you've got the whole thing with him and Rebecca and the way they talk and stuff like that and the way they talk about their family. But as it goes on, you're suddenly like, no, wait, hold on a second. This is... <laughs> This is increasingly realising it's not just that they're well off, they are established. <laughs> they're old money. He's living in a bedsit on a Victorian terraced row. Why is he living like that? Because yeah. money is not the issue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so you can have lots of dimensions that go with that. Um, and then finally, you know, I mean, to, to be honest, there are hundreds more and they can all be buttery goodness. Um, but to sell your romanticy, you must have a fantasy twist, and it needs to be rooted in good world building, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So we have definitely run over. So yeah. we're going to very, very quickly just uh, give you our Dissecting Dragons recommendation. And this week, it's from me. Um, mm -hmm. I've literally today just finished a book called The Ones We Burn by Rebecca Mix. Um, this book attracted a lot of controversy on Twitter. I would suggest you read the book yourself and ignore all that controversy. It's pretty much bollocks. Um, but what I will say about it is, um, while it, it's young adult and in some respects I was slightly outside the target audience, it's a very well done look at things like um, identity and how if you don't feel like you've got a place in the world, you're disenfranchised or what have you, you come from a very poor background, um, you can start mistaking love from people who are actually using you mm. um, or rather abuse from people who are using you for, for love. Um, things like if if you do this for me, then obviously I love you yeah. uh, kind of thing. And very much in a sort of parental child situation. And it's the same on a grander scale with organisations whereby you don't have anything so you get swept up in this great cause and actually the people piloting that cause don't care about you they don't care about the cause they just care about their own agendas yeah. and you have to grow up and realize that you need to ask some serious questions and you need to own yourself and make choices um it, so it's a fantasy universe type thing there's magic there's um a lot of sort of gritty content as well there's this great found family sort of dynamic as well um, the main character is by and large quite likeable and there is a sapphic romance in there as well for an enemies to lovers one for people who like it uh, it is absolutely not what people have been saying about it on twitter i think those people have not read the book frankly 
of I think the one person who read the book and said that there was problematic content said this because she disliked the author and was trying to stir up some shit. That is my opinion. So I would say give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read it when I don't know what you're talking about, so I cannot comment on that. But thank you very much for the recommendation. And (laughs) on on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.